Our scripture today uh, comes from Psalm 139, the Old Testament, followed by a text from John chapter 9. Hear the word of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. And from John 9, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means ascent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying it is he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I'm he. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we are grateful, O oh Jesus, that you are here with us, helping us even in these moments to understand your word, that it may become for us a lamp unto our feet, that we may discover more what it means to be a child of God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Psalm 139 is one of the great poems, not only of scripture, but of all of literature, in my humble opinion. It is a prayer that arises out of the depths of the human soul, acknowledging the belief that there is only so much that we can understand about ourselves. We human beings are a mystery, mostly to ourselves. Psalm 139 is this prayer to the creator God who has knit us together in our mother's wombs and thus understands who we are from the very beginning. The, the psalmist looks to God as the one who understands our brains, our hearts, our souls, our gifts, our limitations, our Achilles heels, our shortcomings, our hunger, our thirst, our stubbornness, our pain, our joy. God understands all of it better than we do and that somehow God is able to connect the dots that are inside us better than we can. That in those moments when we say, gee, I, I don't know what came over me, God says, yeah, I know what came over you. When we do something of which we are ashamed and say, oh, I, I'm so sorry, I, I, I don't know why I did that, it just isn't me, God says, oh, I, I think I know why you did that, and maybe it is you more than you think it's you. When a person decides to leave home in order to go find themselves at age 16 or 26 or 46, the psalmist would say the journey is best taken toward the heart of God, for God is the one who knows us. The knowledge of who we are and the knowledge of every human being is what God has. God intimately knows the heart and the mind and the body and the soul of every human being. A knowledge so high, the psalmist says, that we cannot attain it. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Many of you know that I have a profoundly disabled brother, intellectually disabled, who for most of his life until recently lived in a home, a school center, provided by the state of Pennsylvania. When it was founded some 125 years ago, this school, it was called the Pennsylvania School for the Feeble-Minded. That's the language they used back then for such people. My brother Jim is now 69 and my parents and my brothers and I have regularly visited him over the near 60 years that he's been there. Unfortunately, many of the residents have not been as fortunate as Jim's family. Many were dropped off as children and their families never returned. On one of our visits to see Jimmy, I must have been 10 or 11 years old, my father and I took a walk around the grounds and came upon an old cemetery for the residents that had been left to go for seed the 70-year-old stones were badly weathered but still standing, and to this 10-year-old came the surprise to see that the stones had no names. No names, just numbers. I asked my father about the stones and why there were numbers and no names. I don't recall his answer, but I was upset that the stones had no names. What I do remember him saying, though, 
what I remember asking him is, why don't they have names? And my father, who knew his Psalm 139, said simply, God knows their names. God knows every single thing about them. In my previous church up in New Jersey, we had a cemetery that dated all the way back to 1837, 13 years before the Civil War. Our custodian came to me one day and asked to show me something. He had come upon the original cemetery map that showed all the plots and graves and stones dating all the way back to the beginning. He then took me outside and pointed me to an area of the cemetery where there were no stones. He said, I always wonder why there were no stones here. And then he pointed to the map where it said that this was where the colored people were buried. Name and number, it said on the map, unknown. A year later, we dedicated a monument in that space to do what little we could to remember these human beings, these human beings, the minds, hearts, bodies, and souls that God had known from the very beginning and that we fellow humans had so callously disregarded. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. There's so little we understand about ourselves, not to mention what we understand about others. Stay, the psalmist says, Let's begin with God, for God is the only one who really knows. Psalm 139 has always been my go-to part of the Bible when I think about my brother Jim. Strangely, Jim is the only human being in my world I know the least about. I said Jim is profoundly intellectually disabled, which means that he's never uttered a word. He has little ability to communicate other than to tell you that he needs to go to the bathroom. He's been blind for the past 25 years and thus can't even point to what he wants you to see. I do not know what Jim is thinking. Maybe he's thinking a lot or maybe he's thinking a little. But Psalm 139 tells me that God knows what he's thinking. God knows what he's thinking. God knows his head his heart, his body, his soul. God knows that he's a human being like the rest of us. And the Bible says that God has a very tender spot for every child born in this world. Until recently, we've been able to take Jim out to lunch or dinner in the nearby town. Jim likes to eat. He loves Big Macs, quarter pounders with cheese, and french fries. So we take him to the local McDonald's even though we know that Jim's presence makes other people feel uncomfortable. They stare sometimes some move away and I get it he's different he's just different he's a different human being no less a human being just a different one and we human beings have a difficult time sometimes with different fortunately I don't think Jim has ever noticed or understood the stairs thank God Psalm 139 reminds us that the only stair that matters is the one of the Creator and I think the creator is crazy about Jim. The stare from above is a gaze of love. Some of you may have seen years ago the movie The Elephant Man, which tells in a fictionalized way the real life story of Joseph Merrick, a 19th century Englishman who developed severe deformities all over his body, including his head and face. At some point, he figured the only way he could make use of himself and sustain himself was by joining the circus and being a part of the freak show, which is where he got the name The Elephant Man. 
the circus abandoned him in Brussels. And he had to make his way back to England on his own. And when he stepped off the ship in Dover, the security on the onlookers were so taken back by his difference, they attacked him. The stairs turned to stabs, prompting him to scream, I am not an animal. I am a human being. I am a human being. And the stare from above is a gaze of love. John, the gospel writer, tells us about the day when Jesus and his disciples came, a man who had been born blind, a human being, but a different one than people were used to. And immediately the disciples, not comfortable with different, want to find who is to blame for the difference. Was it this man who did something wrong? They asked Jesus. Was it this man who did something wrong? Or was it his parents who did something wrong? Who is at fault, Jesus? It's not like us. Something's got to be wrong. Nothing is wrong, Jesus says. It's just that God sees things differently than you do. God understands him a whole lot more than you do. God knows when he sits down and when he rises up, he discerns his thoughts from afar. He's a human being different like the rest of us. Because, of course, we're all different. Just look around the room. We may feel like we look the same, but look closely and we're all very different. And the Creator is crazy about us. The stare from above is a gaze of love. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, God must love the common man. He made so many of them. (laughs) And maybe what is most common about all of us is our common pursuit to learn what does it really mean to be human? What does it really mean to be a human being? I don't know much about human development or child development, but my dime store observation tells me that when we are really young and toddling around, we carry around the assumption that to be human is to be like moi. Two-year-olds do not have much of an appreciation for anything human outside of themselves. They will play with other humans, but boy, it better be according to my rules. I'm the human here, and we'll do it my way. And then somewhere along the way, the anthropology changes, and you get yourself into your own little tribe, family and friends, who are enough like you that you're willing to include them in your definition of human. You go from to be human is to be like me to to be human is to be like us, the tribe, the clique, the family. Anything different from that is looked on with suspicion. You must be wrong if you're not like us. You're not normal if you're not like us. To be human is to be normal, and to be normal is to be like us. The little kid in the playground we picked on was a victim of this way of seeing others. You're not like us, so therefore we will treat you inhumanely. That's what we did to Julie Johnson back at Gordon Elementary School. We just treated her inhumanely. Many folks get stuck at this level of human discovery. Those that put Jesus on the cross got stuck there. Jesus was just enough different that they killed him like an animal, a sheep as the Bible says, led to slaughter. But then there is this other level of human discovery that allows for the possibility that as you and I learn about what makes you different, as I learn about what makes you different and you different and you different and you different, the more I learn about what it means to be human, 
That to be human is not about me. To be human is not about our little group. To be human is about the whole human project, that we're all different in our own way. That to be human is to be Jimmy McConnell. To be human is to be Joseph Merrick, the elephant man. To be human is to be Julie Johnson. To be human is to be those brothers and sisters whose names nobody had the decency to etch upon stones. To be human is to be stared at from above with the gaze of love. One of the great exclamations of journalism came from one Herbert Morrison who was sent by his radio station in Chicago, WLR, to cover the arrival and docking of the Hindenburg, the great German Zeppelin that was transforming at that point air travel. It was set to dock at the docking station in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Morrison was there to narrate its arrival live on radio, and upon its arrival, minutes before its docking, the Hindenburg burst into flames, the worst air disaster up until that point. And all Herbert Morrison could think to say as he watched that vessel with 97 souls go down in flames, the only thing he could think to say, the only thing that really could be said was, oh, the humanity, 97 souls none of whom Mr. Morrison knew, but oh, all the humanity. Sounds like something God would say as he sets a stare upon us. Oh, the humanity, oh, these creatures I created in my own image, oh, these beings I knit together in their mother's wombs, oh, these human beings who are a mystery, most of them, mostly to themselves, these children who don't know what to do with those who are different. Oh, the humanity, says the creator, who stares from above with the gaze of love, who understands us better than we understand ourselves. Every human being gives us one more chance to learn what it means to be human, whether an IQ of 40 or an IQ of 140 whether a Vogue model or a freak show performer, whether black, brown, or white, whether gay, straight, or trans, whether rich or poor, whether Pentecostal or Presbyterian, whether Republican or Democrat, there is so little we understand about ourselves. C.S. Lewis, in one of the greatest sermons I think ever preached, said that we must never forget that every human being is an immortal creature. And we must take every human being as serious as an angel. We must learn from them what it means to be human. Anthony DeMello tells a story about the man who took great pride in his lawn. Nothing gave him greater joy than to have the best lawn in the neighborhood. He fertilized it, limed it, watered it, cut it. It was nearly perfect lawn except that it sprouted dandelions. Every spring, dandelions would sprout and bear their yellow faces at him, mocking him as he sat on his front porch. He tried everything that he could think of to get rid of them. He sprayed weed killer, dug them up, called the local lawn company. Nothing seemed to work. Finally, when he exhausted everything he could think to do, he wrote the Department of Agriculture, explained all the things he had tried to do to get rid of these blasted things, begged for them to tell him what to do with these dandelions. A few days later, a letter arrived in the mail. Mr. Smith, thank you for your letter outlining the problems you're having with your dandelions. We understand all the things that you've been doing to rid your yard of them. We have only one more thing to suggest, Mr. Smith. We suggest you learn to love them. 
stare from above is a gaze of love.